that changed the world because they walked by faith. And Lord, sometimes we think that these people in the Old Testament were different than we are, but we know what your word says. They were people just like us, just like us. And I pray, God, that we would not diminish the impact that our lives can have in the world that you've placed us in, in the circles of influence that we have in our lives. Lord, may we not lose sight of your power through us. We know, Lord, that you're here with us right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I plan to do is start at the very beginning of the Old Testament and just work my way through the ordinary superheroes of the Old Testament to look at people that made a difference and what we can learn from them in our lives. Now, there'll be times we're going to break for Christmas and a Thanksgiving sermon and a New Year's Eve sermon, but this will be our study as we highlight these various individuals chronologically through the Old Testament who made a difference for God. Today, I want to talk about big picture stuff. Seeing the big picture, right? It's always helpful to walk back a bit and see the big picture of what God was doing in the Old Testament. Sometimes we don't get that. And the bottom line of our talk today is this. The Old Testament is a fascinating account of the history of God reaching out to rebellious people like me, right? People just like me that were sinners that have been saved by God's grace. We are rebellious against God's plan, but God still loved us and reached out to us. These people that he created in order to display his love, his grace, and his mercy for all of eternity. You and I, my friends, are objects of God's grace and mercy and love. He loves us more than anyone has ever loved us. And he proved it by sending his own son to die on the cross for us. When that happens, you know what he loves to do? He loves to use us, ordinary people, to make a difference for him, to make a difference in this world. I love what it says in the book of James, James 5, 17. Elijah, probably one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, right? He was one of the individuals that was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. This is what the Bible says about Elijah. Was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. He was a man with a nature just like you and me. But he walked by faith, and he made a difference. And when he prayed, it did not rain for three and a half years. He was a person just like you and me. And my prayer as a pastor would be, God, help me never diminish the impact that uh, this life can make. Help us as a church never to diminish the impact your life can make. I don't care what stage of life you're in. God wants to use you. God wants to give you a purpose in making a difference for eternity. Satan wants to discourage you. He wants to tell you, well, who are you to make a difference for God? Remember all these things that you did in your past. You're disqualified. That is not the message of grace. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ has given us victory over death, victory over the law. He's paid for our sins. I think you know that when I go to Germany, one of my favorite things is the Autobahn. The Autobahn. It's their interstate highway system, right? But in the Autobahn, there are stretches for miles and miles where there is no what? Speed limit, exactly. And even in my cheap little car, 
I was going 120 miles an hour at certain stretches. 200 kilometers an hour I was going. And here was the great thing. I wasn't worried about the police stopping me. They had no power over me. The law was gone. The law was gone. That's exactly what happens when we come to faith in Christ. The law has no more effect over you, no more power over you, because the sin has been paid for. You are debt-free. You know, it was a great day when the church became debt-free, amen? That was a sense of freedom for the church. I don't know if any of you, I'm still working on it, but having a mortgage paid off in your home, what a great feeling. The home is totally yours. You're debt-free. That's what God does for you. When you come to faith in Christ, he pays off your debt. You are free. Bask in that freedom, my brothers and sisters, that you, when you come to church every Sunday and when you leave this place, you can enter into the presence of a holy God because he's placed the righteousness of his son in you. And for all of eternity, you will enjoy the fact that you are co-heirs with Christ. Everything in this universe belongs to Christ and us as co-heirs with him. In Acts chapter 4, when the disciples were turning the world upside down, that's how the disciples were described in the book of Acts. It says this, Now when they, the Jewish leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? Uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Exactly. I want to ask you today, do people recognize in you that you've been with Jesus? That you have a relationship with Christ? That you have been walking with the Lord? They see something different in you. See, when people come into this church every Sunday, may they sense people who long to worship God. That there's a love that we have for each other. Not that we're perfect. We're all imperfect. But we are all serving a perfect God who is building us up and changing us. And there should be a unity in our body That's why I I so long to come back home. You know, as much as uh, the people in Germany are wonderful, I wanted to get back home. I missed you. I missed being here with my brothers and sisters, the body of believers that God has brought together. There's a sense of I'm connected here. And if you're not yet, keep working on it. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes your effort to get out and go to a Bible study or go to a home group or, or be involved in different ministries here at Riverview as you connect with others. But God is doing a work in your life, bringing you into the body of Christ, and he longs to use ordinary people. See, it's people that say something like this that God can't use. When people say something like, hey, God, now that you have me on your team, now we can accomplish something. God can't use you. He can't use you. But if you come to him and say, Lord, in spite of my shortcomings and frailties, in spite of my weaknesses and failures, God, my desire is to be used by you. That's when God can use you when you humble yourself. You know, in Germany, they have amazing churches. I just picked a couple pictures. Uh, We traveled around for about half of our time doing some sightseeing. We rented two cars. We had a group of 11. My family, my whole family was there, my in-laws. We had a group of 11 traveling around. We went down to Munich and uh, Rothenburg, and we went to Würzburg, and we went to uh, Frankfurt, traveling around Germany just uh, enjoying the country. And there were churches like these that are just amazing. You've probably seen some of them yourself. 
They're amazing buildings. They certainly, when you walk in, they cause your focus to be lifted up, which was the design of the, those that built those churches. To lift up your eyes and see God. The, the problem in Germany is that there's a spiritual poverty in Germany. Because so many of their pastors and leaders have diminished the truths of the word of God. And many of these beautiful buildings stand now more as museums than as churches. As these people have often denied the truths of God's word. May we never allow that to happen here at Riverview. In fact, I'd like you to turn to the very beginning of the Old Testament. Genesis 1.1. I love how the Bible starts out, don't you? It just starts out with this proclamation that should encourage us all. Genesis 1.1. Very easy to find. Page 1 in your chair Bibles, by the way. Very easy to find. I love this passage. So easy to find. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, which began an entire process of creation by God. This awesome being that we refer to with this three-letter word, God, this being that is imminent in his creation but distinct from it, transcendent from it, you know, there are many religions that say that God is the trees, God is the rocks. God, that's not true. God is distinct from his revelation, but intimately involved in it. That's why Jesus could say he knows the hairs on your head. He knows the days that you will live before you live them. That's how intimately involved our God is in our lives. I hope that encourages you today. And God never promised that he would take away the Difficult paths that we have to walk. But what he did promise is this, that he will walk with us through those difficult paths. And he will change us and give us strength so that after we experience that trial, we can look back and say, I'm stronger now. Because God is walking with me and I have more faith in that truth. I've learned from that experience. And the declaration here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a powerful declaration that there is a being who is intimately involved in the creation. And we are not here by happenstance. We are here because a divine being placed us here and loves us perfectly. If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, we get a little bit more idea of who that being is. Very familiar passage again. But there's no doubt in my mind that the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is connecting the life of Jesus to the very beginning. Starts out with the same three words in the Greek. N-R-K is the Greek words here. In the beginning was the what? The word, the logos. That's a, a reference to Jesus. He was the living word of God. That's why when we hold the Bible in our hands, we ought to believe this is the living word of God. Don't diminish it. Don't buy into the lies of uh, scholars out there, quote-unquote scholars, who want to diminish the Bible. Here's the bottom line for me about the Bible. If God would spend all of this energy creating a universe like he did, 
There is no doubt in my mind, and then creating us to be on this planet. There's no doubt in my mind that God would make sure that the Bible that we hold in our hand is an accurate representation of the truth that he wants us to know. I hope you believe that. This is an accurate representation. God's not up in heaven going, man, I made an amazing creation, an amazing universe with 400 billion galaxies. But man, I wish I could have gotten the Bible a little bit better. He's not saying that. He's saying, man, I want my people to be tuned in to the word of God. In the beginning was the Logos, Jesus. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, there are some uh, groups out there who call themselves Christian groups even who will say that Jesus was created. That's a violation of, Genesis, of John chapter 1. It says this, without him was not anything made that was made. If Jesus was made, this verse is wrong. Right from the beginning of John. So Jesus was not made. He was not created. This triune God created everything, and everything was created through Jesus, the same Jesus who was born as a little baby in Bethlehem. I love what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is theopneustos is the Greek word there. Breathed out by God. All scripture breathed out by God. And believe me, the New Testament writers had the sense that they were writing the very words of God when they wrote these epistles and letters and accounts of the life of Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That teaches how to walk, right? For reproof, to say, hey, Mel, you're off the path. You got to get back on the path. That, that decision that you just made, that was wrong. You got to get back on. For correction, well, how do I get back on the path? How do I get back on that path? That's the Bible tells us that. And then for training in righteousness, how can I avoid making that mistake again? The word of God is wonderful for that. Please do not allow the word of God to be gathering dust in your home. Open up the word of God and let it feed your spirit. Let it connect you with the God that loves you and created you. May you have a confidence that the word of God that you hold is the very word of God that he desires for us to have. That's why we love having the word of God open at Riverview Church. It's the word of God that directs us. We don't worship the word of God. We worship the God behind the word of God. Now, as we start this study through the Old Testament, I want to give you an idea of how the Old Testament is structured. This amazing book of the Bible, part of the Bible. Two-thirds of the Bible are the old, is the Old Testament. How is it structured? There are three major structures or divisions in the Old Testament. The first division is the history division. And there are 17 books in this division. Now, I, I know when people open up their Bible, they see the list of books at the very beginning. You know, there's the, there's the table of contents right? The very beginning. And people see all the books of the Old Testament and they think, okay, when I get to Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, when I get to those books, I'm about halfway through the history of the Old Testament. And the rest of the books will give me even more history. That's not true. See, the Old Testament is divided into three sections. The historical section has 17 books. The first five books are called what? Anybody know? The Pentateuch, yeah, or some people call it the Law or the Torah. Those are uh, five books, Penta meaning five, Tuch meaning scrolls, a reference to the first five books of Moses. 
There, that means there's how many books left over? Twelve books left over in that section. Now, scholars are amazingly intelligent. Scholars have come up with a word to describe those 12 historical books. Think of it. What would you say if you were going to give a name for those 12 books that are left over? What, what would you give it? Here's the amazing name the scholars have come up for those 12 books that are left over. The other historical books. Don't you love that? Those are the other historical books. See, as we build our history through the major people of the Old Testament, the heroes of the Old Testament, most of them will come out of this section. When you get to the bottom of the history section, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, please understand you're at the very end of Old Testament history. You're not halfway through. Looks like that by the table of contents. You're not halfway through. You're at the very end of Old Testament history. See, these other books, like poetry, there are five of them, are a section in which we get a closer look at the heart of people like David and Solomon, these amazing kings in the nation of Israel. And then we move into the section of prophecy. In the section of prophecy, there are 17 books as well. The first five are called the what? Major prophets. Why are they called major? Because they're longer books. That's why they're organized into that section. That leaves how many books left over? Twelve, exactly. What do you think scholars came up with this as a name for that section? No, the other, no, no, you're right. It's the minor prophets. You're right. The minor prophets. Why are they minor? Because they're shorter. Now here's, as we read through the Old Testament, this is what you need to know. Those Historical people that we will see, come a great deal of them will come out of the historical section, the history section. The books of poetry fit in right about there in the timeline. Right about First and Second Samuel is where the books of poetry fit in. As we work our way down the timeline even more, all of those prophets will fit in around First and Second Chronicles. As prophets come on the scene in the nation of Israel to give them a message from God and prophets that go to other nations around Israel. That's the big picture of the Old Testament. We're going to highlight the key people of the Old Testament and walk through these heroes and how they were used by God. Here's some things I want you to know. Our time is going quickly. Number one, the Old Testament. What's the big picture of the Old Testament? The Old Testament is this, God's awesome account of restoring a right relationship with his creation. We're going to look at Adam and Eve as we start and how they experienced the fall. They disobeyed God and all of creation, the book of Romans says, groans under the weight of sin. It groans under the weight of sin. But God had an answer. Even in the beginning, God had an answer. And all of the Old Testament is all about this, God going after us to make us right with him. God pursuing us. You might say, well, if somebody said, what's the Old Testament all about? It's God going after us. He's pursuing us. See, in every other major religion on the planet, my friends, if you're going to describe that religion, if I were to describe it, I would describe it in this way. It's man trying to pursue God. Man trying to get the attention of God so that God will look down on people and say, okay, you're good enough for me to let you into heaven. That is not Christianity. That is not our faith. Our faith is this, God going after us. God pursuing you 
He is after your heart. He wants your attention because that's what we were created to do. God doesn't want our attention because he needs it. Please don't think that way. When we open up the Old Testament and study it, we find that there are people who need to give God their attention and their worship, who need to follow God because they were created with that in mind. So the Old Testament is really about God's affection for us, that he's going after us. My friends, today he's going after you. If you're not in the word, there's a part of your life, a compartment of your life that's not following God. He's going after you. He's going after you in love because he wants you to experience that abundant life that he promised. He is going after your heart. And the wisest thing we can do is say, God, I want to open up my heart to you. I don't want to diminish your word. I don't want to diminish the truths of it like they're doing in Germany. The churches are empty. They've lost their power. I want to open up my heart to the truths that you have in your word. Jesus had a high opinion of the Old Testament, my friends. I tell people all the time, you're always in a very precarious, dangerous place if you disagree with the opinions of Jesus, the greatest life that has ever lived on this planet. Please don't ever hold an opinion that differs from the opinion of Jesus. I tell it to unbelievers all the time. The greatest life that ever lived. You're in a very precarious position. This is what Jesus said about the Old Testament. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. That's a beautiful statement. Can you imagine being a Jew and hearing those words? Wait a minute, Jesus, you're saying that you will fulfill the entire Old Testament? See, for the Jews, when they would say the law and the prophets, that was a summary of the Old Testament. Jesus is talking about all the books in the canon, in the list of books of the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Then he goes on to say this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. When we open up the word of God, you need to know there's a God behind the word of God that guarantees that everything he says will happen will happen. The same God that created 400 billion galaxies has the power to accomplish every promise that he's promised in the word of God. The same God that created every galaxy out there is the same God that accomplished every one of the miracles in the Bible. I've shared with people, and probably you have as well, that have laughed at me, that have mocked me for believing the miracles of the Bible. And I will say to them, and some of these people even believe in God. They will say, I believe in God. Your God is way too small. If you can get past Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then every other miracle in the Bible is easy for God. Amen? Parting the red waters? Are you kidding me? You're going to doubt that God could do that? You're going to doubt a God that created the universe and think that he can't part the waters of the Red Sea? That he can't walk on water? That he can't make a blind man see? If you can get past Genesis 1-1, you need to know everything God promises will come to pass. It will happen. When I die, I go from this life to the next. Why? Because the God that created the universe is behind that promise. We did a funeral yesterday, Judy Kinnearum. You know, just a lady that loved the Lord Lynn and Judy were here for many years in our church. 
But just what a joyful thing to be able to be in a funeral in which you know this person was connected with Jesus and this person has moved from this life to the next. It's not fairy tale. It's not rose-colored glasses. It's real life backed up by the real person of Jesus Christ. See, the Old Testament is all about God pursuing you. He's after your heart. Open up your heart to him. Don't hold back. Don't struggle against him. Here's some things I want you to remember. God created us without sin, but with the ability to choose. People have often asked me, well, did God create sin? No. He created people without sin, but they had the ability to follow God or not. He did not program us as robots to worship him. He gave us the choice to worship him or not. That's why when we think of Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve's test, when God said, don't eat from this one tree, enjoy every other tree. We'll talk about them next week. It was a test. Would they trust what God had said, that God had their best interests in mind or reject what they heard? They chose to reject God's words and replace them with what they decided was best. They decided that Satan's evil advice and distorted conclusions were correct. They rebelled against God. See, everything that God created was good. We need to understand this as well. We've rebelled against God and his plan for creation. We've rebelled against God. We've rebelled against what he desires for us. And the third thing is this. God is pursuing our hearts to make them whole again. And at Riverview Church, my prayer is that all of us would be open to that, that we would open up the word of God and say, God, I get it. You want to change my heart. You want to give me a life that's abundant. That's why you came. I open my heart to you. You know, when uh, David was here, we're going to study David in this series. When David was anointed the next king of Israel, you probably remember the story. Seven of David's older brothers prayed it in front of Samuel because God had indicated to Samuel that one of these sons of Jesse would be the next king. The oldest son, Samuel said, oh man, this guy must be the king. Look at this oldest son. He's the eldest son of the family. This has got to be the king. Look at him. Looks like a king. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, I want you to know, folks, every time you come into this place every Sunday, the Lord looks right into your heart. You can't fool the Lord. You might fool everybody around you. Everybody might think you're doing really well spiritually, but the Lord looks right into your heart. And I want to challenge us as a church in this study. God, help my heart to be totally yours. Lord, help me not to look at the outward appearance. Help me to look directly into the heart and allow my life to be changed by you. See what the book of Genesis teaches us right from the beginning are all these important theological things. How did the universe begin? We know it did not begin by some random chance act. It began by God, this being that loves you and knows you. How did life and all the diversity of life that we see around us, how did it all begin? God created them according to their kinds. They didn't evolve over billions of years. The Bible tells us exactly how that happened, and the scientific evidence backs up exactly what the Bible says. If you don't believe that, I'd love to have lunch with you. It'll take about seven hours to go through what I have to tell you, but I would love to talk to you about that. Here's the third thing. Where did sin come from? 
came from people rebelling against God. Where did marriage come from? God's design for marriage. When Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning that God created them male and female? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. How did marriage begin? It's God's intellectual property. He invented it. There's all this talk now about China stealing the intellectual property of America and this this has to be addressed and this has to be fixed. I want to tell you, the world has stolen the intellectual property of God. God created marriage and the world is seeking to redefine it, reinvent it. God invented it. It's his intellectual property. He's given us the plan. The differences between male and female are right in the word of God. We read about it. Viva la difference. There are differences. The world wants to tell us there are none, and we're moving in this culture to a place where the two sexes are becoming one. No difference. That is not God's plan. That's not God's desire. And we see that in the Word of God. And you can say, well, Mel, you're so out of touch with culture. I want to be in touch with the Word of God. I want to be in touch with God's creation and His plan. Not the evil, sinful thinking of our culture. How did families begin? It's right in the Word of God. How did languages begin? I just talked about the struggle of the German language. It's so hard. It's so hard. How did that all begin? How did all these different languages with different alphabets all begin? It's found right in the Word of God. See, as we go through the Word of God, we we see the plan of God. Genesis, uh, if we're going to look at it geographically, takes us through Abraham entering the promised land. In Exodus, we see uh, Joseph being brought down to Egypt, becoming second in command, as we talked about this summer, bringing his whole family down, leading to 400 years of slavery. Then the book of Leviticus is all about God meeting them at Mount Sinai and giving the Levites and the priests instructions. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. It was all happening at Mount Sinai. Then they left Mount Sinai and were tested by God. Do you have the faith to believe that I can give you the promised land? They didn't. And the book of Numbers talks about them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Until the end of that 40 years, Moses gives three long sermons. He's not allowed to enter the promised land. He gives three long sermons, a second teaching of the law. It's the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to know what Deuteronomy is all about, it's all about Moses reteaching the law to the next generation that will conquer the land. There's a geographical component to each of the first five books. Genesis, Abraham going into the promised land, the nation of Israel being built, the Jews going down to Egypt in Exodus, at Mount Sinai after this amazing salvation of God, God giving instructions for the Israelites as to how to worship him. Then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses reteaches the law. The book of Deuteronomy is actually two Greek words pushed together. Deuteros, namas. Deuteros meaning second, namas meaning law. A second teaching of the law. You need to hold fast to the word of God, people, as you enter this promised land. Here's the second thing I want you to know about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is God's powerful declaration that there's only one true God powerful declaration in the Old Testament. Only one true God. See, it's God's protection for all of us because all of these false gods are giving bad advice. All of these false gods will lead to destruction. The one God truth is reflected in the very name of God. 
Do you remember what that name is? And I'm going to end here, and we're going to continue this next week. That name was found at the burning bush by Moses. You, you, you know the story, right? I love the name of God. I had one person say to me, Mel, I became a Christian when I heard what the name of God was. I said, this can't be invented by man. This has to be of God. Moses, who was a, a fugitive in the wilderness, tending sheep, saw a, a bush that was not being consumed by the fire. He approaches the bush and a voice comes out of the bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. Moses realizes he's having an encounter with the living God. God says to Moses, I want you to go down and lead my people out of slavery. Moses says, God, you got the right guy. I'm on the way. Here I go. Is that what he said? No, not at all. He said, Lord, have you seen my resume? I'm a fugitive. They want me killed in Egypt. But here's the reality. God would be with Moses. And Moses finally said to God, God, they have many gods in Egypt. All of them have a name. People will ask me, what is the name of your God? What should I tell them? This is what God answered. Moses said to God, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked, what is his name? Then they, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This name that represents the all-sufficiency of God. It was a slap in the face of all the gods of Egypt because our God exists. He is the I am. All the gods of Egypt don't. There's only one true God. It's the I am. It's a beautiful name. In the Hebrew, four letters. Theologians call it the tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God. In Hebrew, you read from right to left. And those four letters are these transliterated into the English, Y-H-W-H. Now, I'm going to reverse it so we can look at this a little more closely. These four letters are powerful. See, in the original Hebrew, there were no vowels between these consonants. It's kind of like some of the license plates you see today, right? You just see the consonants and kind of figure out what it says. That's what the original Hebrew language is like. Until much later, scholars came and began to add points and dashes under the letters to represent where the vowel breaks were, where the syllable breaks were, and what the vowels were between each of the consonants. When scholars came to YHWH, they didn't know what the vowels were. Why? Because the Jews would never pronounce this word for many many years. Because God said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So to be extra cautious, the Jews never said it. And the vowel sounds were lost between these four letters. So what Hebrew scholars did to be extra cautious is they took the vowels of the name Adonai, another name for God, and put those vowels between Y-H-W-H. That was their best guess. That's been transliterated into the English as Jehovah. But scholars today believe a better pronunciation of that name is Yahweh. When you read the Old Testament, it's a powerful declaration. There is only one true God. And all around the world, my friends, people are steeped in idolatry. Some of them not even worshiping a definitive God, but they're worshiping materialism or power or themselves. That's all idolatry. There is only one true God. 
And as we open up the book of the Bible and the stories of the Old Testament, may your heart be drawn to this amazing God who loves us and gave his son for us. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. And as your hearts are bowed today, my prayer would be that you would say, Lord, I I want you to do a work in my life. I've been too distracted. I've been too divided. Lord, may I focus on you in my life. And Lord, as we begin this series about ordinary people that encountered an extraordinary God and did amazing things for you, may we realize that we are people just like them and we encounter every day a God just like you. It's you. Lord, may we give our hearts and lives to you. You deserve everything about us. And we love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. elders and home group leaders up front who would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.